Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle Caldwell and today we're upping sticks and heading to Singapore. Well, kia ora listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Destinate NZ Show. And if you tuned in early this morning, I have to say I'm really, really sorry that we didn't get the episode up in time for you. So if you're one of those listeners who normally tunes in on your way to work on a Wednesday, huge apologies from me. I'm currently in Australia and the time zones and days have just gotten away from me. So there is really no excuse other than that. But hey, we're here better late than never. Now, I mentioned we were upping sticks and heading to Singapore. Well, yes, that's right. So today we are welcoming Natasha Lawrence, affectionately known by nearly everybody as Tash, to the show. Now, a lot of us in the industry have moved cities, moved towns for a role. Well, Tash actually moved countries. So I wanted to get her onto the show to have a chat about how that was for her and some of the challenges she's had because not only has she moved from Auckland to Singapore, she's done it in the middle of a global pandemic and she actually left Auckland during lockdown. So yeah, it's going to be really great to have a chat to Tash. Now, a lot of you will know Tash, but let me read her bio for you. She's a mum, wife, New Zealand tourism champion, unwaving in her manakitanga, wine lover, and now business owner. After 16 years working in the New Zealand tourism industry in a job she loved, a terrifying decision was made to uplift her young family for a new life in Singapore. Starting from scratch during a pandemic and moving while New Zealand was in lockdown was a tough ask. Challenge accepted and Cario Consulting was born. Based in Singapore, Tash is dedicated to promoting New Zealand as a destination, providing tourism connections and in-market sales support for MICE, leisure and educational tourism. As the founding director, Tash has years of experience sitting on various boards, steering groups, focus groups and delivering results for some of the best in the business, both in the private and public sector. So I'm sure you will love to hear what Tash has been up to. Obviously a really popular character in our industry and we're thrilled that she was able to join us on the show. So sit back, relax and enjoy. And next week, I promise we will be here at seven o'clock. Kakite. Well, we always said when we started this show that we wanted it to feel like you were sitting in the lounge with friends having a chat. And a lot of you have commented to us that you feel like this when you're listening in. So today we're reconnecting with somebody very well known to the industry who really needs no introduction and joins us all the way from Singapore, Tash Lawrence. Kia ora, Tash, and welcome to the show. Kia ora, team. It's nice. Kia ora, Tash. To be home. Albeit via Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> via Zoom and coming out to everybody's car, lounge, wherever they're listening in. <laughs> AirPods, AirPods, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, cool. So, Tash, I know there'll be a lot of people listening in who are very curious about your new life in Singapore. So tell us how the move from Auckland has been for you. Well, 
I mean, it's an absolute poof, like mind <laughs> explosion. And then you'll get through stages where you think you've packed everything and you think you've thought of everything and you haven't. And then you get here and you figure it all out anyway. I think our house looks a little bit like an Ikea showroom right now because it was easier to just book it all online. But it was interesting that, I mean, the biggest thing for me was that we left during the lockdown. Yeah. So after 15 years with the amazing AJ Hackett Bungie team, I didn't get to say goodbye and that was mm. really difficult to do, what's even making me teary now to do that via zoom and just not being able to hug anyone not being able to say goodbye to my own mum you know it was really bizarre and then you got to the airport and it was empty yeah. <laughs> but then on arriving to Singapore just seeing the different ways that obviously their government do things compared to the way that we were doing them in New Zealand it was just such this polar opposite sort of mentality of how to do things so we still had seven days isolation but wearing these little wristbands that were like kind of like an ankle monitor <laughs> but what was really nice is they would bring every day to check in on you and make sure that you were still wearing it and they would scan it through the phone it was really crazy it was, wow. it was awesome and so they could keep tabs on you know knew exactly where you were the staff were lovely delivering our breakfasts and everything but yeah it was, it was quite a process and then you're finding houses and doing whatever. So I spent the first few months kind of dedicating my time to being mum and finding a house and getting Ellie James into school and doing all those boring things. And then I had these amazing dreams of like Netflix marathons and <laughs> day <Yeah>. drinking. <laughs> and it lasted about 48 hours before I realized I'm not cut out for this. I need to go and do something with my life. I miss it. I miss working. I have to work. So yeah, I actually was really lucky that I had connections here in Singapore, obviously, mm -hmm. having worked here many, many years and coming over for things like Kiwi Link. You and I have done that together, Chambers. Yes. <laughs> Quite a few whiskeys. Singapore students, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really nice. I already had this community of people. And so I started reaching out and obviously just to catch up and have that human connection in that space. And there was actually a few jobs that were going that I was asked to kind of, I guess, they kind of put me forward for and was like, please come and do this. And I guess the more I kind of went into that, I was like, oh, I love this idea of going back and being back to kind of, you know, that eight to six and functions and whatever, but realized that was going to mean not much time with Ali James. And mm -hmm. I had this opportunity and it was a very difficult actually decision to kind of decide to go out on my own and go consulting and Cario Consulting was created and I spent more on creating that than I'll probably earn in the first year <laughs> <laughs> but there's a piece in knowing that I can pick and choose the bits that I like and represent New Zealand really really well and still have that touch of home which is kind of great <laughs> yeah yeah and we had a, a bit of a chat about this last week when we caught up Tash but yeah. tell us a little bit about starting a business in a yeah. brand new country it is hard it is tricky I mean there are ways that you can do it yourself and you know like for example it, realistically it's $15 to to have a company yep you know well to register a name at least yep. But the bureaucracy that you have to go through and obviously the paperwork and all the legal stuff. And it's it's quite a process. So I actually employed a, a local company called Expat Consulting who specialize in all of this stuff and, mm -hmm. and lawyers that specialize in all this stuff because 
in order for me to be able to work, the laws over here have changed. You can't just apply for what they call a letter of consent, which is what gives you the right to work over here, or a work pass. You know, there's varying levels of it. So in order for me to get around that, the best way was to set up my own business and then effectively sponsor myself as the director of that company for the letter of consent. So there was a period of time there where I was a business owner and I was a company owner in Singapore, but I still didn't have the right to work here. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I had to set that all up. I had to make sure all of that was legal, which was a process of applying for the name. And then you would go through other various steps of making sure that you had a director, you have to have a local director registered because I'm a foreigner. Mm-hmm. I have to have a local representative to be able to oversee everything that I do. And that's huge. That's a yeah. massive ask of somebody. They're having to sign for your accounts for everything. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's really big. And then you have to open a business bank account. That bank account has to have a minimum of 10,000 Singaporean dollars in it as an absolute bare minimum because you've got to be able to pay wages. You've got to be able to, to do all of that stuff. So went through all of that and then once all of that's in place then you can apply for your letter of consent to be allowed to work in Singapore and you have to prove that what you're going to do and why you've got to be able you know they take your CV they go through your Mm. LinkedIn they go through everything and it it's in some ways a little bit quite a little intrusive you can like wow Mm. you're really digging into me here like who are they calling next the prime minister (laughs) I'm sure she'd put in a good word for you yeah yeah, I'm like well I did get to see her while she was here so that was quite cool but yeah and then that letter of consent got approved so by employing a company to help me with that and obviously paying that extra cost there was that peace of mind of knowing all of the legal aspects of that had been well and truly covered. And then you've got somebody on the inside of Ministry of Manpower, which is, I guess, the equivalent to our IRD type situation. Manpower. <laughs> yeah, the Ministry of Manpower, MOM. You know, they sort of, they have contacts within there that they can say, we have already vetted this person. And so that process happens a little bit quicker by having the right people. And it's like anything we do in tourism. You have the right people, you know the right people, you can ask the question and you can get that help. So yeah, it was a bit of a journey. And next year, in order to keep my status, I actually have to employ someone. So feel free to send me business because I'm going to have to pay someone soon. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's interesting. So to go through that process, were you given advice from some expats over there that that was the right way to go about it rather than trying to muddle through yourself? Yeah. There was a real mixed bag because there was also people that were like, nah, you can totally work if you're if you're representing people in New Zealand and they're paying you into your New Zealand bank account and all that sort of stuff. Ah, of course. Blah, 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 blah. And there are some truths to that. The the difference with me though is because I'm here on a dependent pass, my husband is working here and he's it actually changes the rules dramatically. I'm not here as a visitor, I'm actually here as a resident. Yeah. And so I'm determined as being a resident and so for me the moment I had a meeting that was not I guess an event that was sort of arranged by other things where I'm not being paid the moment I'm paid to go to a meeting mm-hmm. I've broken the law straight right. so I was like no no I need to make sure that I do this legally and then I can 
it yeah. wouldn't then matter which way it comes from I'm completely within my right to go and do anything I like yeah so I jumped on a few different Facebook forums and and that sort of thing because there's so many of them over here the expat community here is massive and not just for New Zealand but mm -hmm. for so many countries and it's incredibly supportive and so there's all these organizations that you can go to for help and they you know there's all these women on there that all and other people that make recommendations and through my daughter's school because she nice. goes to an Australian international school. Yeah, there was just this whole body of people. And it's so easy to find. And people are quite generous with their time to say, actually, you should go here, you go here. So when I said, hey, look, do you recommend a company that I could use? And fortunately, through my husband's company, their HR team had dealt with expat consulting before. Right. They were, yep. you know, came well recommended. And then on these forums that I had sort of jumped onto, their name came up a few times. So I was like, okay, I feel pretty safe now to engage with this line of work and these people. And then, yeah, you're just kind of taking it step by step. But there's so many people that you can talk to. You know, they just you do, you gel together. And it's just about getting out there and doing things. And that's how I ultimately ended up joining the New Zealand Chamber of Commerce, about mm -hmm. to join a few others, PCMA, so the Professional Conference Management Association. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Stuff like that, which would be the equivalent. There'd be no different to us joining tech or yeah, yeah. or you know the convention bureaus in your regions. So now that I'm connected into those, it's been really great. So I did my first New Zealand Chamber of Commerce event the other night and Firstly, it was great to be in a room full of people where the accents were all the same. <laughs> that was that was the first visit. But it was amazing because there's this mix of doctors and professionals and the COO of Marina Bay Sands, for example, which is one of the biggest event hotel, casino, the whole kit and caboodle. He's a Kiwi. Didn't people know that he's a New Zealander? So there's all these amazing, amazing business minds here doing incredible work that are all New Zealanders. So connecting in with those guys has been incredible. And already I've started to put a couple of things together. I'm like, you need to talk to some of our universities back home or you need to talk to this RTO. Like, mm, it'd be yeah. really good to have you. When you come home for a visit, have you got time to do a talk? Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. And so many of them that have been here for so many years that they haven't even realised that back home in New Zealand, we've advanced. Like, mm. they moved over here at a time when perhaps the business world in New Zealand probably wasn't quite what it is now in certain fields. And, mm. and even just me being there and talking to them about tourism and what that was, what that's all about and how it's coming back. And you can see their little minds going, huh, no, I didn't realize. <laughs> like, you're welcome guys. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Wow. Yeah. And so on a bit of a different angle, obviously business is good and, and booming over there, but how's the tourism industry faring over in Singapore? Yeah, to be honest, it is much the same as New Zealand. They had exactly the same struggles as we did in terms of, you know, the tap got turned off. You know, there was a lockdown, just like there was. A, and granted, it wasn't probably quite at the same, you know, there are varying levels and, and varying waves of, of how they did that, which I think we, we all kind of know. But that still had a huge impact on how their business fared. And in many ways, they probably didn't get the same support, actually, as many of our Kiwi businesses did with our government. And so it was really tricky and it was really difficult for me to actually go and see some of these offices and no one being in there. Or even mm -hmm. after, you know, we got out of isolation and opening up and walking into an office where you're used to seeing 
and you'll know this chambers like there's usually 50 people on a floor there's a runner going between the screens there's like these massive screens over the walls that are telling you how many calls they took in the last half an hour how much money they've made in the last you know 60 minutes what that and I'm used to that and all of a sudden there's two people in there and you're like yeah what the hell is going on mm. but I do have to say that I on a positive note they are rebuilding just like we are and they're doing it much quicker because they have these connecting regions and of course they've been open for much longer than than we have but in terms of that connection to New Zealand I I went into and I won't give away names but I went into an agent the other day one that I was used to seeing being busy when I went downstairs there were two staff in the Asia section because China's closed and then I went upstairs going are the New Zealand team here and they're like yeah so I went up and I walked in and there had to be at least 15 to 18 people all sitting at screens all with customers in front of them three people in the waiting area all actively booking and getting out their credit cards just for New Zealand wow that was amazing I know and the lady behind the desk Tash like you're here and I'm like I am and I've drawn her off a bridge like six years ago so thank <laughs> God she, she enjoyed that experience <laughs> it was so nice but I guess the difference and, and it's very similar to our industry in New Zealand is that there are now new faces that there weren't before. There are some tried and trues and there are still some of those same old people that people traveling over here to do things like Kiwi Link are going to expect to see, but there are a lot of new ones. And when I look at the amount of jobs that are going up online for travel consultants, for you know all of the different roles, particularly even in the mice sector, mm. it's insane. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. So, and interestingly gearing up specifically for that Southeast Asia that kind of but also that Pacific regions of the world which haven't typically been pushed because they weren't sure of borders they were unsure Mm. of where things were going now that there's a little bit of certainty they're moving quick you know and they they want to send people this way so that's exciting but Yeah. yeah unfortunately it was the same as us. Yeah. <laughs> they struggled and now they're coming back. Yeah. I feel like they're probably coming back quicker. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. So, Tash, we know that with you there, you'll be flying that New Zealand flag very proudly yeah. to encourage as many people to come and visit us as possible. But what's our competition? Like, where else are the yeah. Singaporeans travelling to? What's hot right now up there? Yeah, so interesting from an expat community perspective Mm. there's been so much in and around those short trips you know the Vietnams the Cambodias the because it's so close and they've just opened everything there's no PCR testing there's none of that a lot of Europe has come back online for that reason and you know when you've got a lot of again expat community here that haven't seen families in a long time Mm. they're all in their droves going back yeah unfortunately for New Zealand Australia is still going to be your biggest problem because it's open, it's easy to get to, you know, the flight timers, and it's everywhere over here. Like even, even the Singapore Tourism Board is promoting travel there and this intermingling of mice. Yeah. So wow. I know, and this is the thing, they've realized that that collaboration is more important than actually just, hey, send them over, let's go see some beaches. But what I will say is that while that's not new to us, we know Australia is already going to be our biggest competitor. There is so much love for New Zealand and that whole sustainability message and that wellness message. And I think 
from a New Zealand perspective, we, are, we were already moving down that road anyway. We were already there. There's already so much of it we do well and potentially we just never talked about mm. because we just feel like that's us. There's a lot in that and there's a lot to piggyback off that because you've got a tourism board here that are promoting to the world that Singapore is this amazing place for wellness and for retreats yep. and to come and do your business and blah, 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 blah. When actually New Zealand does that way better, no offense to to Singapore, and you know, on a much better scale, I feel it's just my own. Not that I'm biased. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not allowed to be. (laughs) And so I feel like you know, for all those brands that are coming over for KiwiLink, for all that stuff that's happening, there's a real tie-in where a lot of that marketing is happening over here anyway. You know, New Zealand's ability to piggyback that Mm. is going to be a smart move, just as a little tip to you all. But yeah, it's interesting. So I I would say that the majority of the focus has been in that either those travelling to Europe because it's the right time of year to do that. Or those short stays where, you know, Vietnam, Cambodia, all those little ones where it's cheap, but it's also a holiday. They can get there easily. They can get back. But outside of that, those that are looking to do that long haul south, <laughs> you've got a you've got a big fight on your hands because Aussies coming in bloody hot and they're on every newspaper there. And every time I turn on my phone, I'm getting something for Australia. It's And, and I mean, I, you know, I, I, not that I want to talk to it too much because this is about Destiny NZ, but yeah. it's, <laughs> it's true. And the connectivity has just increased from Cairns alone. It's gone from three times a week to yeah. five times a week direct to Singapore. So it is coming in hot. You're quite right. And, and it's a, re- but there's a great youth market there and New Zealand will benefit for sure. This is the nice thing is that given the choice, What's really interesting and what a lot of that research data shows over here is if given the choice, Singaporeans would choose New Zealand over Australia. No offense, James. No, not at all. (laughs) But there is actual, there are actual research studies out there that, you know, actively show, particularly in that youth in that youth market they they're dreaming of it and so a lot of those campaigns that TNZ have been doing a lot of that work that individuals have been doing to push that messaging is working that people really actively want to come but if they're going to what's really great is they're probably going to stay for a longer period of time Mm -hmm. but they've really got to plan that so I feel like come October that's when New Zealand's actually going to see what Singapore has to offer because that's when you're going to have, and I'm going to say it wrong, but, you know, Ramadan and all of that (laughs) around there. My daughter does it so much better. She came home the other day and she's like, Selamat Samiraya, Raya, or something like that. God, I'm going to say it wrong. But that's their next big holiday where they're actually going to take some time off. And so I feel like it'll happen. And outside of that, yep, we've got our normal Christmas, New Year time, but Chinese New Year, as we know, it'll hit again. And then you'll start seeing that more progressive flow in if we can get enough connectivity. Yeah, yeah, that's key, isn't it? Yeah, at the moment, people struggle with that. Yeah. Hey, so what have you noticed as like the major changes between living in New Zealand and living in Singapore before we wrap up? The heat. (laughs) (laughs) Chambers can attest to that. I'm in a constant glow. And so it's not, I'm not pregos, guys. I'm just in a constant (laughs) sheet. But no, in terms of living, there is still, and from, I guess from a business sense, there is still a a hierarchy of 
New Zealand is, is more casual in the way that they do things. My husband's kind of learning that now, whereas the chain of command still matters over here. There's a lot yeah. of customs and traditions that still really matter over here. And so if you're coming over for a visit and you're you know, going out to your traditional agents, absolutely take them for a drink, do all of that sort of stuff. But there is still those customs and cultures that need to be managed. I, the other thing is, I mean, for me, this is a very English speaking country. So I'm pretty safe. <laughs> but yeah, it's a cultural melting pot more so than New Zealand. We thought New Zealand was very multicultural. Yeah. Yeah, no, Singapore's on a whole other scale. <laughs> so I think, I guess the biggest difference for me is that when I find when people move to New Zealand and they're there for work or they're there to, to live, they live and they stay. Whereas Singapore tends to be quite transient. You might get two or three years out of somebody, but then they're going to move on. I find when people come to New Zealand, they really kind of root in, which is not quite the same here. But the people are amazing, which is great. (laughs) The food is good. But the alcohol is unbelievably expensive. So when you come to visit, you are required to bring wine. (laughs) (laughs) And anything else off duty-free, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually the duty-free charges, I think you get one litre of wine and one litre of spirits. That's it. Oh, I'll be sorry. bringing anything else, so you've got to be selective. Well, that's okay. <laughs> if you can convince everybody coming for Kiwi Link, I think that will set you up for Let a little bit of time. Let me just put the call out there right now. <laughs> a Roaring Meg Pinot Noir or a Man of War Pinot Gris would be highly sought after over here. <laughs> and you might make a new best friend. Yeah. <laughs> that also means that there could be a free room at Chateau Tash Lauren, there is a bottle of lovely wine that walks through the door with you. <laughs> well, look, I'm sure after that little plea, you will be inundated <laughs> with wine when everybody arrives there for Kiwi. Life. I think Pato's already Pato's already inquiring about that room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I only want cool people, Pato. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> also, need to bring good chat. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pato, you're welcome anytime, my love. But yeah, if anyone needs any help with, I guess, connecting in with those agents, because it has been a learning curve for me, going back and, and seeing these businesses that, you know, used to have all these people I knew and suddenly there's all these new faces. Mm. So I guess that the nice thing is I've had that opportunity to kind of go out and connect with, with all of them, which is great. Still some I need to connect in with. But yeah, if anyone needs some help with that, then let me know. Oh, that's really nice. Thanks, Tasha. I'm here and, and curving my day drinking, please. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much Netflix one girl can handle. Oh, yes, I totally agree. Hey, look, Tash, we're going to have to let you run away now because I know you've yeah. got to go and get Ali James. But it's been so nice to connect oh, with you no, again. So and lovely. I'm sure everybody's loved to hear your cheery voice and laugh over the airwaves once again and look all the best with your business it sounds very exciting I know know, yeah just basically telling the world how awesome New Zealand is and sending business your way I mean how hard is that really (laughs) very tough is it really (laughs) no it's it's very good and it's nice finding all those little silos that we don't always get time for when we've got one week in market 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, you'll really be able to give everybody the backstage tour when they're up there this yes. year. So that will yeah, be and also fun. some ideas on how that could help them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And there's a few little, there's a few little loopholes that I've found that I've gone. Why has nobody done this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> so, ah, there yeah. we go. Very yeah. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tours I could create for you. I'm telling you. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Hey, well, we'll let you go. Lovely to chat. And And thanks so much. And we'll talk to you hopefully again soon. Get an update and see maybe after Kiwi Link and see how that goes. Just to check in on your wine stash as well. Yeah, it's pretty low, guys. I'm just going to say that. I'm August. All right. (laughs) Kaki Kaki Day. Kaki Day. Bye, guys. Bye.